next thing I know is I'm floating in the living room watching my husband open the door to let paramedics in the room. I didn't know that I had left my physical body. My guest today is Linda Kramer. Linda, I've been looking forward to this conversation and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Rod. You know, the pleasure's all mine. I love getting the word out about not only my experience, but the training skills and education that I've done over the years, trying to work out my own situation. And now I'm in a position where people all over the world, like yourself, have this interest in my experience, which I'm now fully understanding why I needed to wait 15, 20 years to tell my story because it gave me that air-breathing space so I could fathom the extreme situation that I went through. So when I do now talk about my experience to others, I talk in a way where it's not exaggerated or overly exertive. I'm now natural with it so I can convey the story in layman's terms so people can understand what I was actually talking about. So I'm really grateful that now you're doing the work that you're doing and to find me is an absolute honour that I'm so happy to be here for you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. I do want to get into your near-death experience and it's mm -hmm. the only one that I'm aware of so far where you've made an estimate of how long you were away for, but it was such a long time, like years. But I think it would be interesting to know a little bit about your background, how you grew up before you got to that point? Sure. I was born into a military family, so my dad moved us around a lot. I've got two sisters older than me, and both of them were sickly children as well. But in my situation, I was in hospital quite a lot. Doctors told my mum that I'd need heart, lung and kidney transplants oh. back in the 1960s. That's a death sentence. Luckily, I never needed any of those surgeries. But then you ask, why didn't I need those surgeries? Because my earliest memory, probably 18 months old, is sitting on a hospital bed. I'm looking down, I can still see my nappy or my diaper, as Americans call it. And there's people sitting on the bed with me that the nurses and my mother can't see. And they're telling me, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay, Linda. We're with you constantly. But the big thing now in this memory is they weren't human. They were some sort of energetic beings. So how long have I had these beings with me? I would have to say all my life. So I grew up as a psychic, seeing ghosts, having that knowing that psychics have. And it was very misunderstood, confused by others around me, like parents, school children, society. So it was something like back in the 70s and the 80s. It was hard to understand what somebody was going through when there's no knowledge like today with the internet. You, know, you can Google what is a ghost or how does, how does a psychic get information? But back when I was growing up, it was extremely hard, obviously. So there was a lot of criticism and I would actually say more abuse towards me by people who simply didn't understand who I was. So I got married when I was 24. He used to call me the witch. He loved it when I'd have premonition dreams. It came true, especially when it's winning money. So going through life with him, it was... I am honest with it. It was an abusive relationship and I could not stay with him. So I left. And at that point, I'd already met my American husband because he was working in Australia. We worked together and he went back to America and we stayed in contact by email. And when I said to him, oh, I left my first husband, he said, things always happen for a reason. My dad just died this week as well. So how about I give you an air ticket over to have some time out with me? So, of course, anyone would jump at that. So I went over to America 14 times back and forward. You can imagine that expense. We got married in August 2000 and May the following year, May 6, I went to bed 
very stressed over my immigration, very stressed over the life that he wanted me to have in America, which was not on par with the life that I wanted. I'd actually gone out and got jobs, but he didn't want me to have a green card. So we were very conflicted. And so I don't go into what happened with us, but I went to bed and I woke up at, I think it was about two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't breathe at all. So I knew that I had to go to the toilet because I'm honest with people. It took about 10 minutes just to get to the toilet. And when I got to the toilet, I fell asleep. And the next thing I know is I'm floating in the living room, watching my husband open the door to let paramedics in the room. I didn't know that I had left my physical body because the body of Linda, even though she was in the bathroom, it had no relevance to who I was now floating in the living room and watching the paramedics and the sheriff and other people coming into the house. So I did not get confused by this. It seemed very natural to be there. So there was no fear. There was no apprehension of what's going on. Oh, look at the house. The house is untidy with all these people in the house. There was no thoughts like that at all. I was just happy, if you want to say happy, to sit, float, and watch down on all these people in the house. And in my medical records, it actually says that it was 45 minutes that all these people were in the house before they took me out. And then another pair of ambulance officers came that I saw all their equipment. I heard the conversations. I saw their name badges. This is people who didn't even go into where my body was. So how would I know who these people were unless I was actually there? So they brought out Linda because it's separate. She was on a trolley, a gurney. And I remember looking at her hair and I thought, what did they do to her hair? Because it had, it was all like gel or oil through her hair. And I thought, wow, that, yeah, that doesn't really look like a person's, how their hair is. And that's one of those similarities that I've now found with other MDEs where they do say, oh, I saw my own hair and it looked different. So I'm not sure what that correlation there is, but ultimately they took Linda out and put her into the ambulance and then the door shut and about 30 odd seconds later the door opened again and all these blue orbs came into the room I'm still floating in the room and there's all these blue orbs floating around me and they were intelligent because they didn't hit each other and they were like pausing near each other like they were conversing but I could not hear them and I could not communicate with them and then they were there. So I'll just stop you there for a sec. So the, the blue orbs, they actually opened the door to come through the door. The door That's very opened. polite of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the door. Now, I saw my ex-husband walk to the door and he locked it. So how the heck did the door open? That's, that's one of the questions that I ask because I saw the door open and there was also a glass screen door there. But was that open? I don't know because it was at night. It was like to quarter to three in the morning at this point and so they all came into the room and I do have pictures so it's easier for me to just go through my book and show the pictures that are in my book because they're in order so when the blue orbs came through here's a picture from my book with all the orbs they had little white centers pure white centers and around them it was like energy coming out of them so in my picture that's in my picture they're They've got little spikes of energy coming out of them. So they're all just hovering around me, just interacting with themselves. And then at one point they all just stopped and they all just went back through the door. So that's how I knew that they were conversing with each other. So then the door shut. Then I go into what I call the fog stage. It's like closing your eyes, but when you open your eyes again, you're in a totally different location. I didn't feel myself physically travel. I didn't feel any movement of my body. It's just blink and I open my eyes and now I'm in this field of flowers. And there's hills with flowers, trees, and I could see down into valleys. Even though in the valleys are behind the hills, I could still see them because I could see everything. 
I could see the water in the stream, even though it appeared to be 50,000 kilometres away. I could see cities and I could see inside the windows of what was inside each individual office in those buildings, even though that was hundreds of kilometres away. I could see the mountains and see each individual rock that formed the mountains. And I could also see behind me in pure 360 panoramic view all the way around me without turning my head. So I estimate that I was in this place for about 18 months. And I base that on the fact that I generally walk about three miles per hour. And as I'm walking down through the cobbled stoneway paths leading into bitumen roads, into roads of wooden panelling, bridges over streams, and I'm looking at these bridges thinking, in a distance, how far would that be? So just one of my walks, where I walked hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, that's like hundreds and hundreds of hours to do that simple walk. So I followed and interacted with people. I didn't speak to anyone because everything there was telepathic. It was like a knowing of everybody and everything. And there was chairs there. So I understood because I sat on a chair and it's a contemplation area where I can go back through all my own past lives and contemplate the lessons and what I've done. And I can also connect into other people by just concentrating on one person or plant or animal. I could become that plant or animal and become them and see all the lives that they too had had. So it was a oneness. Everything was one. So... I am there probably 18 months. I talk about the flowers in my book, how when I stood on the flowers, the flowers moved so I wouldn't stand on them. They knew my intentions before I even had the thought. So in my book, here's a picture of the flowers that I drew. Very different to here. I can't explain the colours because we have no colours here to even come close in the color spectrum so again energy coming out of each petal little energy bursts like the orbs and everything was energetic everything like there was no physical being at all because it's all energy which is i would assume here would be a concoction of my own perception of what i saw in my own conscious awareness if you could fathom that sentence, you may want to hear that sentence again, where yeah. I talk about my perception of what I was seeing. So could you see your own body is like, did you have a body? Yep. I looked down and I was still in the pajamas that I was wearing, which is on the front cover of my book. Here's me in my pajamas on the front cover, little pajama pants that came down to about my knee and I had a t-shirt on. So I always draw from the back because it's easier to draw someone from the back. But I still had on my pyjamas. But I was aware that I could change into any clothes, any hairstyle, any tallness, any skin colour that I had ever been. Because in this space, I wasn't Linda anymore. I was my soul, which was a representation of all the lives that I had ever lived on earth and beyond people say do we always reincarnate as other humans no because i watched a bear turn into a little boy i watched a boy turn into a dog because in that soul they had been the boy and the dog in previous lives so then i'm i think i was there for oh, 18 months 18 months i think i was there just based on how long i walked and how long it would be to watch somebody running up a hill, playing, rolling around, turning into another animal. So that time, I try and put time on that as well. So I estimated it was about 18 months. Then I get this tap on the shoulder and it was my left shoulder. And I heard a voice say, it's time to go. I now recognise who that person is or that being. And it's this woman who's now always with me. She talks to me all the time. 
she guides me. She says things like, go outside and I'll go outside and I'll see something that if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't see it. So she guides me all the time, this woman. So I even talk about her in my book. But then she touched me on the shoulder and she said, it's time to go. Next thing I know, I'm outside this, it's like a huge cathedral and there's arched doorways where there's huge like brass knockers on the front and these are huge because the door is, I would estimate, five stories high, these doors. So the doors opened by themselves because there was nobody there and I went inside and first thing I noticed was the floor. The wood panelling is hundreds and hundreds of metres, miles of just one plank. So I was thinking what sort of tree was it that they harvested this type of lumber from because the planks are 100 metres wide and they're kilometres long so you can imagine the size of the trees. But then inside the wood there's also stone which is melded into the wood. So the walls were like stone melded, melted into the wood. There was huge windows. Some of them had lead light windows in them. Some of them were just plain glass with really nice, because it was extravagant. It was extravagant. The ceiling was just so far above me. So I'm walking down and I kept walking down and I'm passing all these, not like just church pews that we have here that sit about 15 people these pews are long probably 50 people could sit on just one pew because it was just so intense how big this was was there anyone else in there were they just empty pews i was alone i was there alone but i knew that i had to go in that was just a knowing that i had to go in i didn't even think maybe i should turn around and walk outside and have a look around That didn't even enter my thoughts. So I didn't even want to pay attention to what was behind me. I was just kept moving forward. So I come up to the top and at the top are these three beings and I use them as my book cover. So here's my picture. There was three of them and the middle one would have been probably 15 feet tall and the others were about 10 to 12 feet tall. So the other two were smaller than the big one in the middle. And they were they had no body. They were pure energy. And the energy went upwards towards their head, what I call a head. And the top was just this swirling form of energy that rotated left to right as well as right to left at the same time. So it's moved back on itself clockwise as well as anti-clockwise at the same time. So as I'm staring at them, I could see into that energy. So it wasn't just three-dimensional like what we have here on Earth. I could see into them. So even where their energy was going up, I could see inside them. So I could see the depth of their entity. And they were probably three, four-foot beings. So the energy was coming up like a reverse waterfall. So if you imagine like what what a waterfall looks like of water going down, that's how the energy moved up them and then it was swirling in this like head orb thing on the top of their beings. So they did not speak for a while. But what I was looking at was this box and it was in front of them. And it was a timber box Nothing overly special, like it wasn't encrusted in jewels or anything like a treasure chest, but it was just this timber box. And I heard telepathically inside my head, and it was a male voice, and he said, we are not here to judge. Okay. Something like that, very clear like that. Instantly, I knew what I had to do. And I knew that I had to look inside this box and process all of my memories that it held inside it. So when I opened this box, there was no walls or floor to this box. It was infinite. I could see forever down inside it. 
So I could see the box on the side. I'm looking at the box, but when I looked into it, I could see there was no walls there. So it was like a portal. Like when you yeah. open it, it was like a... Yeah, yeah. like a portal Like a TARDIS. <laughs> That's box. right, like a TARDIS. Thank you so much, yes. So inside were all these round energy balls, like orbs. They were all around this bed, and there was millions and millions of these little balls. Inside each one of these little orbs of energy was a memory. So I have a picture in my book, which I'll show, because you know, people like seeing a visualisation. So here's a visualisation. I had to pick up a ball of one of these energy orbs and I had to process and heal the emotion that was created from that instance. So this is where we talk about our life review, where we have to heal everything that we've done to others. So here's a picture that I drew where it's my hand and I'm holding one of these energy balls. So it is dimensional, like three-dimensional. And inside is like a little video screen where I was a baby holding the tail of my grandmother's cat. So I talk about this experience and how each experience of these ball orb energy, whatever you want to call them, memories, I had to, A, I had to watch it as the outsider, watching this little child pull the tail of a cat. Then I had to become the child pulling the cat's tail. And so I knew how that felt. And then I became the cat where I could see my own fur. I could feel my claws. I could feel my ears and my head. And now I could see the child pulling my tail. So I knew how that felt as well. Then, as I saw both sides of the story, I could then analyze what energy that day did I create as that child where I could heal it. So that was one memory. How many of those memories did I pull out of that box? I estimate 8,000, 9,000 could be. And it wasn't just a simple watch and it's healed. Some of those memories, you watch the scene and then you watch the other scene and then you sit there with tears bawling out of your eyes and then you're sitting on one of these pews. So now I know what the pews are for. Thank you so much. So you could really analyze why did I do that for? Why did I react that way when that person did that emotion to me? Why did I create that energy that then rippled to make other people hurt that day. So some of these memories, I say, could have taken 45 minutes to process in Earth time. Some of them could have been an hour and a half. Some of them were simple ones, so they were done in two or three minutes. But overall, doing thousands of these memories, I estimate it would have been at least half an hour to 45 minutes per memory on average you multiply 45 minutes by thousands and thousands and thousands. How long does that take in earth time? I saw myself as a baby, as a teenager, in my 20s, 30s, etc. Because I died when I was 36 or well, 35, I died. So it was all my memories before that. So now I understand words like only the good die young because the young wouldn't have so many memories that they have to heal. So their life review is actually not so bad. As we grow and we experience life and we cause and inflict onto others our own energy, of course there's negative and positive that we create in our world. So we have to heal the good and the bad. So I talk about a couple of instances in my book where I did bad things because I'm not egotistical and I don't want to say, oh, look at me, I only did good. I don't want to be that sort of author. So I put in some instances like where I broke, I deliberately broke a pane of glass. And in this life review, when I look back at that experience when I was only like six or eight years old, when I broke this window deliberately, I now had to be the glass and 
realize how it hurt to be broken. So I instantly recognize that glass has a consciousness where it feels. So therefore, my pen also has a consciousness that it has an awareness, the same as my coffee mug, the same as my computer, the same as my vehicle, because everything is made of an earthen product that's made of natural fibers. So therefore, everything of the world, earthly, has its own conscious awareness. So we know that when we mow our grass, it emits a smell, which is a pheromone, which is a representation that plant knows that it's dying. So it releases a pheromone knowing that it's being cut. We know that goes to other plants and that's why other plants around mowed grass, they bloom into flowers as their own survival mechanism because they know that things around them are dying. So plants now have this conscious awareness that we're aware of through science. So we now can understand why our pen also has an awareness. So in my life review, I think I was there for about 18 months. I'm not sure. So then as I go through these memories, I get the tap on the shoulder again. So I'll just stop you there for you with your life review. Did you get to the point where you're like, God, how long is this going to go on for? Am I going to have to keep doing this until I get to the end? Yeah, I knew that if I was at that point, I didn't know if I was there forever or not, okay? Because I didn't know what was really going on, but I didn't question it. But it was my understanding that once you start processing each and every single one of those orbs in that box, you don't stop until they're all done. But I got interrupted and she said, it's time to go. And it was then that when I went into the fog stage where I blinked and then I opened my eyes and I'm in this white space with my great grandmother, she then told me that I didn't need to process them all. She said, we let you process enough for you to remember them for when you speak of this in 20 years time so she knew in 2001 when I died that I wouldn't be telling people about it until 2020s when she first came up to me and I say because there was no walls floors or ceiling she was far off in the distance a little tiny being (laughs) and as she walked she got closer she got bigger as she got closer to me so because there was no floor she wasn't walking and she was in a very plain brown dress she had long straight hair and she said when she came up to me she was very angry with me and she said what are you doing here and I thought whoa where is this from because everyone in heaven I didn't call it heaven I just said I was thinking where I was Everyone was so nice to me. I was contemplating all these people and I was becoming all these people with this oneness of love that I, I'd been through for 18 months. Then I went and did my life review for another 18 months where it's all happy and good, healing all my memories. And now I've got this woman virtually attacking me, saying, why the hell am I here? And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? And she went, because she's so frustrated. And I said, but... How do, I don't know where I am. And she said, you're not supposed to be here. And I said, where's here? And she said, you're not supposed to be here at all. I said, I'm so confused myself because I don't know where I am. So she started patting down a dress like she was collecting herself. And she says, Linda, do you know who I am? And I said, no. And she says, okay, I am Karina and I am your great-grandmother. And she said, I lived in 18, I think she said 1828, because you know, it was a lot of information that I received, obviously. So I just say early 1800s. She said, I used to live in this city. She told me about the city. She told me about how the, the horses, how to feed the horses, how to care for the horses, how to dig the hole when the horses died. So how long was that conversation just about the horses? Then she told me about how to just make an axe, how to pick the right tree and the wood to make an axe so the handle doesn't break when you're cutting wood to make a fire. So she was telling me all these instances about how to make furniture, how to make clothes, how to make needles to make the clothes, how to make this device that she would take down to the river. And she told me how she'd walk down to the river and 
clean the washing of the clothes that she was making. So she told me all about her own life in the 1800s. So how long was that? I've had phone calls with my friends where we talk for about an hour. And I get off the phone and I think, what did I say in that hour? And then I look at what Karina told me. And it's thousands and thousands times longer than just that where she was just telling me about her life. Then she started talking about my future life. She said, when you go back, you'll be doing this. You'll be doing that. You go, you got to do this. And I'm just sitting there like taking all these mental notes. How do I remember all this? Because I don't know how good am I going to be able to remember all this information. So there were things that she told me that I would do. She told me that I would work 10 years with the police. She said, you will need two years off for the emotional infliction that they create within you. So... I worked with the police from 2002 to 2012, 10 years. And I did need to get out of there. I was medically retired because I got post-traumatic stress disorder, which still is a burden for me today. So I struggle with that even today with my own mental health. But she knew in 2001 when I died, all this future stuff about me. She said, you will be working as a trainer to teach others how to look after themselves when they injure themselves. And that's a first aid trainer. And I did that for two years, exactly as she said. And it wasn't just two years. It was January 2015 to January 2017. I was a first aid trainer. So exactly two years. So she got that right. She told me about earthquakes. She told me about that tsunami in Indonesia where she said a quarter of your units of millions will perish in this the waters erupting from the sea which is a tsunami. So even when she mentioned the police, she didn't mention the police. She said, you will work for a great force who enforces the rules upon the land, which is police. Yeah. So she said, you'll be working with them for 10 years. So she told me about tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes. She told me about planes. She told me about 9-11, which I have to believe what she said even though it's not the same in the media, okay? So I don't really want to go into that. She told me about COVID. She told me about the vaccines. She told me about what's coming in this year. She said there will March 2023, and she actually said it will start with the place where you live, which is a house, which is real estate. She said the, and she didn't call it the market, but she said the prices that people pay for their dwellings will increase tenfold which is virtually now what's happening real estate's going up and she said you must remember the wars of past where real estate and your financial currency will be afflicted and you look now at how many world banks are now shutting up shop so i know what's coming in the next six months because it's still inevitable i don't want it to occur obviously but she said that 2023-24 will be very hard years. A lot of people will perish. She told me that. But in 2025, she said that is the year when people will come into their own truth. For all the lies and the deceit that people have been told for the past five years will now be resolved. She said 2025 moving forward, health will be important. People will be going back to natural medicines and not trusting those who create the cures. So that's pharmaceuticals. So we'll be going back into more of an alternative, which is really natural medicine, looking after ourselves and our own mental health. People will put more onus on their jobs and what is truly important to them. So that's actually what we're now seeing too. How many people are giving up their jobs and saying, stuff this I want to do a job now that I'm passionate about where I get respected in my own right so that's all now occurring just as she said back in 2001 for me so we're having this huge conversation about us then she says to me you do realize that if you go in there you can never go back and I said where so I turned around and she was pointing at the tunnel so here's a picture out of my book the tunnel there's me in my pyjamas and there she is and she's pointed at this, I can't call it a tunnel, even though people call it a tunnel, 
It was energy. And it was magnetic, like an attraction. So if you look at a magnet, how it attracts to metal, that's how I felt as soon as I looked at this place inside this vortex, I wanted to go in there so bad. It was like a pull, energetic and emotional pull. And it was like pulling me. And I had to physically try with all my mind not to go into this vortex. And she says, if you go in there, you can never return to where you're from. She said, you must return. She told me about my daughter. So many things have now come true of what she's told me about. So she said, if you go into there, that's where you will reincarnate and be born again. So here we go with reincarnation. She told me about how reincarnation works. She told me about life lessons. She told me about our contracts and how we sign up. Not We don't sign up in a life lesson to be a rich person. We sign up to be a generous person. So in that case, we will be born into a rich family where we can then throw money at the homeless and people less fortunate. So we're looking after them. But is that truly how we learn generosity? So in that case, we could also be born as a homeless man. So we appreciate the value of someone else giving us just a simple couple of cents on the street. So even an attribute of, say, generosity, we could be the rich person or the poor person to learn that lesson. And that's why we can have so many different lives where we learn just one lesson. So someone who has to learn, say, patience, which I know is one of mine now because I've lived so long in this place where there was no time or space that now time is one of those <laughs> crazy things that I still don't understand where I have to wait five minutes before a TV show will start on TV. It frustrates me. So I know that I must learn that patience now of understanding time concept again. Even though I've been back here for 23 years since I died, I still struggle with time and space. People say, oh, it's only a 15-minute drive away. And some days I think, how far is that? Because I've been so long, five years is what I call it, in this place where time and space did not occur. So I have a question about when you're, is it Corinne, your great-grandmother? So I'm interested in, did you have a sense of why she was telling you about things that would occur in the future, given that when we come here, we deliberately forget so that we have those experiences? Do you have any insight into that? I didn't at the time, and that's a really good question. Thank you so much, Rod, for asking that. But I didn't at the time because I just accepted everything that was happening. I didn't question anything of it. But when I look back at what she was saying and how she was saying, you will need this time to learn your lessons before you start talking about what you saw and experienced here. So I understand why I had to wait 20 years. But then I also have a look at why she told me. What was that benefit of her telling me that? And I think now, being 2023 after COVID and how a lot of people have, are now starting to doubt themselves, look how many people now are interested in near-death experiences and spirituality because they're giving up that societal belief of what they've been brought up with and now they're looking for answers elsewhere because they can't trust the governments anymore. And this is real all over the world now. Every day now we're seeing riots or some sort of protest or people now are starting to stand up for their own rights where they didn't before. It's now global. Globally, people now are standing up and saying what else exists out there. So I have a feeling, because it's just an assumption, that she was telling me all that. So now... I can offer some sort of solace or some sort of compassion to others who are doubting their existence or their purpose, whereby I can be educating others, helping them find the answers that they're seeking with their own true self of their unconscious awareness and being on this planet. 
that hopefully I can supply those answers in a way that they can understand and also in a way that they can believe it so then they can create the angelic being that we all have within us as our soul so we can utilize our natural abilities of our psychic abilities because it is all innate abilities that we have using our intuition our instincts our gut feelings whereby we make better choices and ultimately we live in a more peaceful time so I think that's why she was telling me all that back then because she didn't have to because I didn't ask her for it yeah okay that makes sense yeah so at the end of our conversation she says now you've got to go back (laughs) and I said where do I go back to because I don't know how I got here and it was like the Wizard of Oz. She looked at me and she said, Linda, all you've got to do is think of your home and you'll go back there. So I thought about when I was in heaven and how I would think about a duck and I would become the duck. And I thought about the mountain and I'd become the mountain. So when I was in heaven and I thought, well, if I start thinking about my home and as soon as I started thinking about where I was sleeping and how I went to the toilet that night, five years before, Next thing I know is I'm lying on a bed and they're pulling the tube out of my throat because I've been on life support. And I'm, I can hear this nurse, and now I'm hearing with my ears for the first time in five years. And she's saying, squeeze my hand if you can hear me, squeeze my hand if you So I'm trying to squeeze my hand. And then I hear her say, she's really squeezing my hand. Yeah, she's coming back, she's coming back. So that was welcome back to Earth, Linda, after this huge event that I'd just been through. So my ESP, psychic abilities, from the get-go, one of the nurses that was with me that first day when I woke up, I looked at her and I said, how's Motley? And she said, Motley, what do you know about Motley? And I looked at her, this nurse in ICU, and I said, oh my God, you've been here all week telling me about your cat. You keep going on and on about your cat. He's got long grey hair, he's 13 years old, you don't know whether to put him down or to get another cat because you took him to the vet, he's got kidney trouble, it's $5,000 for the pills. She's looking at me and her jaw's on the floor. She says, Linda, how do you know all that? Because I do have a cat called Motley. He is 13 years old, he has got a kidney problem. The vet sold me it's $5,000 for the pills. But how could you possibly know all that? Because you've been in a coma and I have not even been in ICU. I've worked two floors down for the past two weeks. How did I know it? So I still have that now today. I can sing a song, turn on the radio, and it will start as soon as I turn it off on the radio. She talks to me constantly. Thank you so much. She's with me constantly. She appeared at the pool. I took my daughter to the pool one day. And she appeared at the pool. Oh, my God. She was in the pool and there was no water in the pool. So there's a picture of my lady who's always with me the day at the pool. She looked at me that day and she said, are you ready? And I looked at her. Everyone else couldn't hear us. There was people in the pool with me and they weren't even looking at me, talking to nobody there who they could not see because I could see her. And she said, are you ready? And I said, ready for what? She said, oh, we think you're ready. So who is the we? And it was about a week or so later that I started seeing spirit guides. So I actually have tried to find others that physically see spirit guides. And I'm one of the few on the planet who see spirit guides, where I actually see them and talk to them. So that's one of my abilities now. I see spirit guides. So one of my books is called Spirit Guides and Life Paths Explained, where I talk about spirit guides, how to connect, what do they can and can't do for us, how to talk to them, what our purpose is in life, how to communicate with our angels, etc. Who can be a spirit guide? Is it just past loved ones that guide us? Is it angels, archangels? Could it be animals? I had a gentleman I was talking to a few weeks ago, and he said, can you please tell me what my spirit guide is? And this yellow four-petal flower appeared and started talking to me. 
So his spirit guide was a flower. So I said, darling, please research, because I never do it, so it doesn't compromise my readings of what they represent. But I said, please Google, what does a four-petaled yellow flower mean spiritually? So I get this email from him a few days later, and he said, Linda, that's exactly what is happening right now in my life. How did you know? And I say to people all the time, it's not that I know, it's what they allow me to be. We all have that capacity within us. We can all be like them, where we know it all. We can all have psychic ability. We can all be angelic. We can all strive to eradicate our own negativity within us so that it ripples out of us like a consciousness, that a pheromone that connects to other people. We can all be like that. So that's what I do now. I educate. So all four of my books that I've got right now all educates on how to be more angelic, if you want to say it like that. So can I ask you, when you first wake up in the hospital, in the ICU, so how long had you been in the ICU for? And then could you tell us a little bit about your integration, like back from being away for so long into the real world and how that panned out? Yeah, it was extremely difficult. And I will go there. I don't know time at all, especially when you're groggy in ICU waking up from a coma. I know that I was on life support. I think it was only three days that I was out. In my medical files, it says that I had suffered chronic respiratory failure. In my medical reports, it says that I was clinically dead for over 14 minutes from the time of the 9-11 call, when my ex-husband called 9-11, until the second lot of ambulances arrived to where I got defibrillated. So the first two ambulance officers that turned up, the two first two paramedics, they were doing CPR, but it wasn't until they defibrillated me that they got a heartbeat. So that was 14 minutes clinically dead. But it could have been longer because it was 2 o'clock in the morning and my ex-husband had to wake up and come and find me. He said that he found me and I was already blue. So how long was I really clinically dead? I could have been there for half an hour, could have been there an hour, could have been there for three hours, I don't know. But I know that I was in ICU and I remember the room that I was in, down the end of my bed, past there, and there was a glass wall and inside there was a desk. So I could see nurses in there. Then they transferred me into my own room where you walk in, there was an ensuite with a toilet and bathroom. And then past that, my bed, there was a window parallel with my bed. And I woke up there and in the corner past my feet on the bed, there was a chair in the corner. And I had the TV hanging from the ceiling above my feet. On the chair, there was sitting an old lady and there was a man, a youngerish person and a child and a dog there. The dog was a sandy coloured Oh, what would I call it? It was a big dog, like a grey Alsatian type dog. Long, long-furred, big dog. So I'm sitting there listening to them all talk. And a nurse walks in. She's got a clipboard with her. She walks in and she says, how are you going? And I said, oh, it's good. I'm just listening to these people talking. So she's looking at the chair. She looks back at me. And she says, who are you talking to? And I said, dad. The old lady's there. There's a diet, blah, blah, blah. She said, Linda, there's nobody there. So I look at these people and I said, look, if you can let her know that you're here, can you please bang on the window? Now, instantly, the whole window bang. And when you bang glass, the whole window like ripples. This nurse dropped her brief, the papers that she was holding. She ran out of the room and I never saw her again. She did not come back. Yeah, that would be a bit scary. It would be a bit scary for those who don't know what's going on. But I could see them. So I wasn't scared when they banged on the window. It was actually the guy standing. He banged three times and you heard the bang, like bang, and that ripple that the glass does when you hit it. And she ran out of the room. She didn't come back. It was interesting just how attuned my psychic abilities were. They were ghosts because I see ghosts people that had died in the hospital now 20 years after my NDE whenever I go to hospitals I see so many people there 
still waiting to be picked up, not knowing that they had fatal injuries or illnesses, thinking they were just going to hospital to get a quick fix pill to fix whatever they had. So I see people there. I walk into my local hospital one time and there's this lady sitting in the front chair. She's sitting there holding this big bunch of flowers, got a suitcase next to her on the floor, and she's just looking at the door waiting for her husband to come and pick her up. She doesn't know she's died. She's waiting I, to be picked up in the hospital. Are you so ever able to help those people realise what they are or are they locked in a sort of loop? So that's one reason why I wrote Ghosts Explained is another one of my books because sometimes we can't help these souls unless they know that they've died. I say like in that movie with Bruce Willis, I see dead people. What's that called? The Sixth Sense. He didn't know he died. So it was if we go up to somebody and say, hey, are you aware that you're dead? How would you feel? If someone came up to me right now and said, hey, Linda, are you aware that you're a ghost? I would go into this massive psychosis of trauma, post-traumatic stress, where I believe that's where we get poltergeist activity starts. Don't tell me I'm dead, so I'll pick up stings and start throwing them at you. We've got to be very delicate when we do interact with ghosts. Some people out there believe that you do tell them, go into the light type things from that movie Poltergeist. But sometimes we can't do that because it will only upset them even more. So... I had a ghost that came to my house. Her name was Shelley. I actually have about nine pages of transcripts in my book, Ghost Explained, about what she said when she was in my house. She could not understand that she was dead. She'd had no memory of it. So I talk about the psychology of why they die. She had amnesia. She could not understand her own car accident where she died. And she was more concerned about the other people in the car who did survive. So she said to me, I don't understand. They put Dave in the ambulance, but they didn't put me in. Why, why couldn't I go with Dave in the ambulance? They left me standing on the side of the road. That's heartbreaking. So I said to her, what year is it now? And she said, it's 1976. I said, darling, it's not 1976. So I got out a calendar. And I said, look at the calendar. Look at the date. Look at my phone. And she's looking at my phone and she can't work it out because in 1976 there was no phones. She said, what's that? I said, well, look, this is how I ring people. So I'd ring a friend and she'd say, no, this is what she was doing in my house for three days. So I was trying very delicately to let her know that she was no longer in that time and that Dave would not be at the hospital if I did take her there. Very sad situation. So I explained what happened with Shelley in my book, Ghosts Explained. Then I've also got Psychics Explained, my other book, That's all about our psychic abilities, how to get them, how to get rid of them if we don't want them again, how to, there's all tools and development in there on how to raise our vibration exercises, how to connect with ourselves and all that sort of stuff is in that book. Yeah, so I'm an educator. I try my best now to help everybody and anybody. That's one reason why I don't charge for any of my services, because I know what it's like to struggle. When I left the police and I had like really bad mental health, Unless I paid someone, I couldn't get any assistance for my own mental health. So that was a big lesson for me to learn in how now not to judge others. And I know now that it's when we are absolutely at our tether, we're broke, we've lost our job, we've lost our house, we've lost our partner and family. When we lose everything, they're the ones that I mostly do want to help because I know that money is only a sustainable three-dimensional necessity in this world but when we go out of this existence of our three-dimensional society we don't need currency of money what we need is currency of emotional acceptance so I teach emotional acceptance self-worth self-respect self-appreciation so now people are building their own self-worth which is our own self-currency so when we truly love ourselves we can then manifest and create abundance, success, and most of all, prosperity of our own future based on that emotional output that we can create ourselves. Wow. Thanks for sharing all of this, Linda. So where do you see your life going forward? What's living a good life for you now? What's living a good life for me now is talking with beautiful people like yourself. You know, oh, 
how, how do I explain wherever you are and wherever I am doesn't matter because it's only geography at the end of the day. But ultimately, I talk to people now in all countries of the planet. I've got people who email me and say, hey, Linda, I spoke to you six months ago. I live in Brazil. Can we please take a time to reconnect? I want to be there for everybody and everywhere because I understand that my body is just a physical cocoon of my soul, yet my soul is an energetic being that is everywhere. So I want to be everywhere at once like I was when I was in heaven. So I love it now that we have Zoom and Skype and Riverside is what we're using today. So we can connect all over the planet and that is what makes me sleep good at night. That's what helps me with my own stresses and anxieties that we all get in life. How I get through my day is knowing that I'm doing my utmost to be the purpose that other people need to be as well. So I've got a big job on my hands. I know I do. And it's only through people, gorgeous people like yourself who interview me, where I can get the word out about cars don't matter. It doesn't matter what sort of job or title we have. It's who we are on the inside, how we create energy that emits to others so then they feel who we are and not what society dictates that we should be through a title. So it's a hard one. It is a hard one to learn it. I've got a PhD, so I call myself doctor. I've also been ordained, so I'm also a reverend. So these are titles. But at the end of the day, when we look at like the prophets of religion, Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, etc., they didn't have titles. And everywhere they went, all they did was to spread their word of how good other people can be. We never hear Moses or any of the prophets out of the Bible. We never hear Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, Dalai Lama. When do we ever hear them say, I, this is my story. They always talk about how others can be their best version. And that's what I strive to be myself. But I'll never compare myself to them ultimately because I don't have an ego. But as long as we try our best in life to be the best version that we can be and then we create that in others, man, that's what heaven is about. Creating that love where we unconditionally accept everyone without judgment. We don't accuse anyone. There's no sarcasm. There's no hate, destruction. It's all about creating emotional love. And when we look at why we come here to learn lessons, so that we value what we have when we go back there. Yeah, the world needs more of that. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to or to find out more about what you do in your work? I do have a weird name because, hello, thank you to my parents for spelling my name wrong. My name is Linda with a Y, L-Y-N-D-A. And my surname is Kramer, C-R-A-M-E-R. So put me into Google, you find my links. I've got a website, lindaray.info. I've also got YouTube. Dr. Linda Kramer is on YouTube. I've also got a paranormal group on Facebook, and that's called Dr. Linda Kramer Paranormal. So I do have some educational help how to clear your own energy fields, etc., and all development videos that people can watch. That's a good little group of a couple of thousand people there. Yeah, so I just try my best to just get the word out. What is paranormal? What is supernatural? But ultimately, it's all just natural. And once we acknowledge that all this weirdness <laughs> is actually innate, natural, then we can accept it and truly learn our own capacity of what we can strive to be. Okay, great. Listen, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much oh, for you agreeing so to much. come onto the channel. 
and I wish you well. I really hope things go well for you, you in know, the future and you do, do more Dan. of the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for having me today, Rod. <laughs>